This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode is being recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our first edition of the DigiTalks podcast series. We will be featuring a variety of different topics and market developments that are currently trending in the digital world. In our first podcast, we are focusing on the European Union's proposed regulation on markets in crypto assets, or MICA. Joining me to discuss this further are Henry Rashen, Head of Regulatory Outlook at HSBC Security Services, and Claire Harrop, Senior Associate in the Financial Institutions Group at Freshfields. Henry, over to you. Thanks, Gabriella, and welcome, everyone. The EU has been making great strides in legislating for harmonized standards in digitized financial services. As part of this initiative, in September 2020, the EU Commission published in the official journal its MICA, or Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation. Claire, thank you for joining us to look at this topic. Please can you outline for us the motivation behind MICA and the deadlines? Thank you, Henry, and thank you for inviting me to be here today. The European Commission published uh, the proposal for MICA in the official journal on uh, 24th of September 2020 as, as part of its digital finance package, along with other proposals such as DORA. Where we're currently at is that proposal's available and around, but the Council and the Parliament will need to review uh, the proposal and, and provide comments. So I think if we're looking at when we might see actual legislation, that could well be sort of 18 months sort of after the proposal uh, was published um, before finalisation. And then we'd be sort of likely to be well into 2023 at least um, before MICA will actually apply as European law. The motivation behind MICA is that um, the European Commission looked at this and went some crypto assets are in scope of existing legislation. So, for example, those which uh, satisfy the criteria to be considered financial instruments or structured deposits as defined in MIFID, e-money within the scope of the e-money directive or deposit within the meaning of the capital requirements regime, but the majority of crypto assets fall outside the scope of EU legislation on financial services. Effectively, where crypto assets are caught by existing regulation, and, and this may well be clarified uh, in, in that existing regulation, those crypto assets will not be in scope of MICA. P part of the purpose behind this is, is to effectively harmonise the regime across Europe uh, and to mitigate the risks of crypto assets whilst at the same time making the EU an attractive uh, location um, for crypto businesses to locate. The proposed definition of crypto asset uh, is effectively a digital representation of value or rights, which may be transferred and stored electronically using distributed ledger technology or, or similar. It, it, this is very broad and, and it covers, for example, Bitcoin, but also in particular what, what the proposal terms asset reference tokens, uh, which, which we might also think about in, in the context of stable coins. And there are also proposals for e-money tokens as well. 
a wide range of financial organisations will be brought into scope in the MICA uh, regime, covering any person or entity providing crypto asset services, which itself is a very broad term covering, for example, custody, operating a trading platform for crypto assets, execution of orders, and it will also cover issuers of crypto assets. Thank you, Claire. That sounds like a significant change. To what extent is MICA a digital version of MIFID? It's a very good question. Um, many obligations are recognisable from MIFID and elsewhere in the EU uh, regulatory world. So there are, um, it's going to be EU-based, um, there are authorisation requirements that are set out by the, the national competent authorities, there are prudential requirements set out in MICA such as own funds requirements, uh, there are requirements for competent management, systems and controls, client asset controls, conflicts of interest provisions, uh, the requirement to provide information to clients, um, and there's even a change in control regime for the acquisitions of crypto asset service providers. So it is very similar in a lot of ways to parts of, of MIFID, but it does go further, however. Um, it goes into information and communications technologies or, or ICT security. Um, and there are some specific obligations relating to crypto assets, which might be difficult to comply with in practice. So, for example, there's a requirement on custodians to return an identical type of crypto asset of the corresponding value without undue delay. And there will be liability on custodians for the loss of crypto assets as a result of malfunctions or hacks. And, and there are also in place quite a number of requirements to have agreements. Um, so, for example, crypto asset service providers that are authorised for the custody and administration on behalf of third parties, there's some quite prescriptive content requirements for those agreements. Okay, Claire, thank you. So it sounds like MICA is not just an electric version of MIFID, and in fact brings in many new obligations. Can you tell us how MICA will work alongside national regimes within and outside the EEA? Yes, of course. Um, the Commission noted that some member states have already put in place bespoke rules at a national level for either all or a subset of crypto assets that fall outside current EU regulation. In the Commission's view, this leads to regulatory fragmentation, which distorts competition, makes it more difficult for crypto asset service providers to scale up their activities cross-border and gives rise to potential regulatory arbitrage. So what they aim to do is to set a minimum harmonized standard applicable to all issuers, except those that are making very small offerings, and service providers. And the quid pro quo is that you end up with the benefit of an EU passport to provide services throughout the European Union. There are some strong extraterritoriality provisions, um, as, as we're seeing in many of the EU's financial services directives and regulations these days. And the concept of, of sort of crypto asset is, is by its nature global. Uh, and what the EU Commission is, is seeking to do is to mitigate the risk of cross-border regulatory arbitrage within the EU and where feasible beyond. One thing that I thought was quite interesting was that there's a location requirement in MICA. So, for example, to be authorised to operate in the union, issuers of asset reference tokens will be required to be incorporated in the form of a legal entity established in the union. 
authorised crypto asset service providers are required to be legal persons that have a registered office in a member state of the union. And of course, query what impact that will have on, on UK-based crypto asset service providers, for example. Absolutely, I can see that. Thank you very much. Um, what do financial firms need to do now to get ready? So MICA has been published by the European Commission. It's, it's still in proposal. It's still a draft form at the moment, and it's still going through um, the process of being reviewed by Parliament and, and the European Council. So to my mind, there's still opportunity for advocacy and lobbying, uh, for example, looking at the intergroup obligations, looking at the liability provisions, and looking at the extent of the responsibility placed on some participants. Even once the level one text is finalized, we'll still be waiting for level two technical standards from ESMA and the EBA. Um, and I think that will sort of delay the application somewhat by, by sort of 18 months or so. Um, so what firms can do now in addition to lobbying um, or, or sort of seeking to sort of guide the direction of travel is to look at their own preparation and, and review the services that they currently provide to establish what, if, if anything, is in scope and whether entities that, that provide those services now. Um, and then also look to the agreements that are in place uh, to sort of determine which might need to be repapered in due course. Super. Well, thank you very much, Claire. It's clearly a lot to take in. It's going to be a big step forward for the market. Well, we'll await Micah's steady advance and possible amendment through the legislative process. As always, if clients do have questions, please do follow up with your client services manager. Claire, for now, thank you very much. And Gabriella, back to you. And thank you so much, Claire and Henry. Um, there's always something new that I learned, so this was quite fascinating. I would like to thank you for listening to our first edition of the DigiTalks. We hope that you enjoyed learning about MICA. Stay tuned for more from DigiTalks, especially in the EU's Digital Operational Resilience Regulation, or DORA, as we explore more trends in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you've heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.